2: Welcome to another episode of Kelly and Ramia on Accessible Media Inc, AMI-TV, AMI-audio, and-, and Kelly McDonald is here as well. Kels, you have told me about some wild hairdos that you've experienced and uh, taken part in in the past, participated in interesting Not hair willingly. things. No, no, you can't just add that caveat whenever I bring it up on purpose. So what's a hairdo you didn't try because you thought you couldn't pull off?
1: Mm. I don't know if there's one I didn't try. I never tried a bunch of them. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah. Like you could just say whatever you want, but like, like I mean, that you seriously I mean, I mean, I did okay if you had with the, the box when I did the box with my afro. What's the box? Okay, my, yeah. Where you're cut kind of like a box, like it's down the street on the, the sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had the fro, so I had enough hair to kind of make that box head of mine. Um, with the with the cut, I don't necessarily think I've thought about. The mohawk at one point said uh, n- n- no you know like the mr. T look mm uh, but no I wasn't I wasn't gonna do that uh, and of course as a little boy my sister and aunt thought it'd be really great to give me braids but they oh, were not that long of braids
2: okay yeah. you never yeah. tried to um did you ever have a lot of like gel in your hair or any of that nope. stuff no, no, no. Style, okay. No, didn't go no, through that. No, phase. I think
1: the most was coconut oil, and that's it.
2: And when you say braids, are you talking cornrows or cane rows or just single braids?
1: Uh, just like cornrows, it was like okay. cornrow because it was just okay. a bunch. But it wasn't. I, I didn't have enough for it to be too long because mm. I have curly. Right. Yeah. When I have the fro, it was curly, so it only only went so far. Okay. How about you?
2: for me it's uh i've done everything like long short bangs, no bangs, side bangs, uh all this kind of stuff, all kinds of layering, but the color is where it gets kind of like I wish I could pull this off and pull that off and never actually tried I've done the ombres and you know blonde streaks and brown streaks and red streaks, but Who once in a while, yeah, but all that is tame, man, once in a while, I was like what if I just put a little red in my hair, just a little, like a streak down the front, or um, gray, gray was a big thing for a while, and I was like, I can pull off. You know what would happen? How much
1: gray, just a streak? Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah a streak or two, or whatever people okay. do. Have you wow. ever seen where people c- color the undersides of their hair? So like their top mm. is a black, or a dark, or a natural color, and then when they flip it, it, it under, you can see, see the oh, blonde or God, something. Oh, no, no yeah, I've heard of it, but
1: I've never been able to see enough, I can imagine. Like, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. For you, how would you get this stuff described or could you see more?
2: Yeah, I could see a bit more. Or when it gets described, then I see it. I'm like, yeah. But I just fantasize about pulling it off. I never actually tried to do
1: you, are you that. still in that mind now oh, that now, you still would do stuff? No, or just now keep I'm done it? with
2: my hair phase. Like everything, hair, oh, really? interest, and, you know, like I went through this and now i got to change my hair. That part of me is quite over for I several years. That's kind of cool,
1: though, for TV because you could do it. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. It's tough. The fedoras are here for a reason. I can only change <laughs> colours in fedoras. Thank you.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's tough that I went on TV and now I no longer will try anything with my hair because I'm growing it out colourless uh, and stylist to donate, so that's my current okay. hair
1: goal. Very good. Mm. Well, good. Thanks. Reason. That's thank you. A great
2: thank you. Reason. Yeah. All right, let's get on to what is coming up on today's show. What's reflexology and how can we benefit from it? So looking forward to that conversation with wellness contributor Francis Wong.
1: On our woodworking segment with Jeff Thompson today, we talk about finding structural studs for pictures, curtains, and so much more.
2: Also, we're talking to two members of the Anti-Human Trafficking Committee at Peel Children's Aid Society about this grave human rights violation and what can be done about it. That's a serious conversation coming up mm-hmm. later in Hour 2 of Kelly and Ramia. Uh Moving on to tech trends... Climate denial on YouTube. There's a little bit of a change on how people are experiencing and expressing climate denial. Take a listen.
3: From ABC News Tech Trends, a new report finds disinformation about climate change is undergoing a radical shift on YouTube. Away from what we call the old climate denial, that's the rejection that climate change is happening, that is man-made, towards what we call the new climate denial, and that's attacking the solutions. Imran Ahmed is the chief executive of the Center for Countering Digital Hate. He says they found content on YouTube spreading false information about solar energy and... Saying that things like electric cars actually use more CO2 in their supply chain than gasoline cars. Well, that's not true over their lifetime. And he says it's especially concerning given YouTube's popularity. It's one of the biggest sites in the world for billions of people. YouTube says it doesn't let users make money off videos that deny human-made climate change. First of all, they should extend that to the new climate denial. But in our report, we did find ads appearing on old climate denial content too. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News this
2: phrasing alone of like new climate <laughs> denial versus old climate denial is throwing me off a lot but anyway kels uh, i just wanted to get your opinions and perspectives on this because in no way are we denying climate denial no. however you know how much of a pattern is there that we are now shifting from this is what used to be climate denial to oh we've shifted over and climate denial is looking very different now
1: no, let's shoot down all the ideas that people might have. Let's make it discouraging. Let's make the rest of us sitting here saying, well, if the, who, who led me to believe these electric vehicles are? And the other thing that puzzles me is YouTube, and it's, well, we won't allow people to make money off it. But it, people, if they go on and say the world is flat, you take those videos down. Should we, if this is incorrect and they're wrong, take them down or YouTube, don't you know they're wrong? Yeah, man.
2: YouTube is so hard to monitor and to filter oh, gosh, things out. I don't know like
0: how they could.
2: It is literally everywhere and every single kind of thing is on there. So, I mean, I'm not saying people are going to disguise climate denial. It's not like Facebook or all these other things where we're trying to clickbait. Oh, click no, they bait want and you then, to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. right? We're really spreading. <laughs> The message out here. These
1: people um, are wrong. This idea of doing this and creating fresh air, that won't work because... Yeah. It, that, and, and again, if you're, if you're right, <laughs> you know, against an idea, okay, that's one thing. But when you're wrong, you're wrong. When you're making it up to mislead people, poor shame. Actually,
2: I'm curious about that. Like, the when you're wrong, you're wrong part of it. And the reason why I'm curious is, I'm thinking, are you a little less wrong with this new version of climate denial?
1: Mm. Um... Well, I think you're wrong to shoot down an idea with a wrong idea. (laughs) It's one thing to shoot down an idea and have it actually, and these are the reasons why, and you be correct. That's one thing. And then when I say
3: that, correct
1: Closer. In five years, someone might prove that you're actually right. Oh, God, no, I hope not.
2: (laughs) Anyway, we're going to take a break. Coming back with Ask a Vet, which is a staple Tuesday conversation. What's the difference between compound drugs and regular drugs? We're talking about medication and medicine for our pets. Uh, In this context, we'll be right back. It's Kelly and Ramya.
0: Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back.
2: Welcome back. Thanks for hanging out with us. It's Kelly and Ramia on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, and your favorite podcast platform. Kelly and I are going to get into our weekly Ask a Vet discussion now. This is when we hang out and learn things with Dr. Danielle Johnkind. Whether they
4: provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends.
2: Danielle, one of these more serious conversations, which means big learning experience for us today. Uh, when our pets need medication to treat an illness, an illness, sometimes we worry about getting the medication into them, and some of those pets are really not good at taking meds. And the vet industry has developed some strategies for helping with these situations, like prescribing medications with flavors for pets, uh, as an example. And sometimes this means that vets are prescribing calm compounded drugs. So that's what we're really going to get into, what compounded drugs are and what regular ones are and what we need to know about the difference here. So I'm really looking forward to the lowdown on this because, yeah, if you have a pet, you probably experienced some version or another of challenges if you will trying to get meds into your pet and whether it be syringes or peanut butter or like a nice pill pocket so <laughs> what, what's the difference between your dog yeah i've definitely had to pill glizzy a couple times and it's not fun for either of us uh, what's the difference between a compounded drug and any other drug danielle well before i answer that let me just say
4: that you know what I love peanut butter myself, so I kind of think that, you know, Glizzy's a lucky dog.
1: If <laughs> yeah. you're not going to take it, Glizzy, I will. <laughs> That's right.
4: Without the pill, though. I'll take the peanut butter. Yeah, it does. <laughs> well, him too, then. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we sort of have like different classes or groups of drugs available to treat animals in veterinary medicine. And of course, a large part of the drugs we use are specifically developed for animal species by pharmaceutical companies. And these drugs are manufactured to produce a consistent formulation and format. Um, for example, an oral tablet with a set number of milligrams of drug in each tablet, you know, that would be a good example. Um, Health Canada, of course, oversees the veterinary drugs directorate which has strict requirements in place to get a veterinary drug licensed in Canada so you know they take that specific format they test it for safety for efficacy for the target species at the doses recommended by the manufacturer and if it all passes all those trials they get approval for sale so Of course, those drugs are also subject to monitoring for adverse effects and those are reported to Health Canada. And you know, anytime though we decide that it's in the best interest of the animal to use the medication at a dose that is not on the label from the manufacturer, that's called off-label use of the drug. Um, So that's what a regular drug sort of looks like. Um, In contrast, a compounded drug is a special case of off-label use. So it's one where the active ingredient in the medication may be the same one as one approved by Health Canada, but the specific form or strength has been changed. And that new form or strength in that particular format has not specifically been evaluated for safety or efficacy by Health Canada. So that's kind of Mm. the difference between it. Same medication, but, you know, the specific format and strength has not been studied
1: yeah Yeah. and we i know we talk about that for different uses for medications when we talk human um maybe somebody is on something and not necessarily for what it's there but it's to help with another complication in multiple multiple health um uh, dilemmas that someone may be may be dealing with why would a veterinarian however want to use that compounded drug
4: Well, you know, in an ideal world, all of the drugs we use in vet medicine would be specifically formulated for animals in all the strengths and all the formats that we could ever want, and all of them would be approved by Health Canada. But we live in this world. (laughs) That's and that isn 't the case, so you know why might we want to select a compounded medication um, well one one possible reason would be uh, we have a huge range of sizes, even within some veterinary species, like dogs, for example, so we might have a chihuahua that weighs four pounds and a mastiff that weighs one hundred and ten pounds. And if we were to put both of them on a commonly prescribed medication at the same dose by body weight, the Chihuahua would be getting 0.18 milligrams of the drug and the Mastiff would be getting 5 milligrams. So hypothetically, for our little example, let's just say this medication comes in tablets that have 2.5 milligrams of the drug in each tablet. So the Mastiff would get two tablets and the Chihuahua would get 0.07 of a tablet. So what that means is you'd have to cut that tablet into 100 equal pieces and then give seven of them. And obviously wow. it just, it can't be done. Right? Yeah. Um, and this is where compounded drugs can come in handy. So if a pharmacy can make a liquid for our little example, Chihuahua with fewer milligrams in each ML of fluid, it becomes possible to measure it out with a one mil syringe. And so you can see how changing that strength might be really helpful in mm-hmm. some cases, but, um, Another big reason we might recommend a compounded drug is because a patient is difficult to medicate with the approved drugs that are available. So, you know, some people will find their kitty will accept a liquid, much better than a pill, for example. Um, some of these compounded medications can be flavored to make them more acceptable to pets. And, Glasgow doesn't I mean, mind
2: those. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the
4: beef ones? um, Yum. You know, Yeah, that's right. You know, but forget the strawberry, forget the mint. You know, we're talking about things (laughs) like beef, fish or chicken, you know, those kinds of flavors. And um, another big reason we might decide a compounded drug is for the best is because we're prescribing it for a species for which a medication has not been developed. So Mm. that's much more common in like zoo or exotic animal practices, Um, have medications created or tested specifically for them. So, I mean, you know, those are kind of a lot of examples of reasons Um, when prescribing medications, you know, that's prioritized finding an approved veterinary specific medication option first, because we know that's the safest and most reliable type. Um, If that isn't an option, we try and find a drug approved by Health Canada for use in humans next, um, even though using those in animals is considered off-label use, we know that the medications are standardized in their manufacturing and they're tested, approved, and monitored as well. If there are no appropriate options under that, then you know we usually recommend a compounded medication.
2: OK, so as you said, if it's recommended by the vet, then we sh- should be OK. Or, you know, someone's done the appropriate research and understanding of the compounded drug to say, yeah, this is fine for your pet to take. But are there risks to pets in taking the compounded medication? Well, there there are potential risks to to pets and taking any medication, right.
4: really, um, one of the things your vet does when they prescribe is to evaluate the potential benefits and the potential risks, and then decide if it's in the best interest of the patient to take that medication. And of course, they evaluate the additional risk of using a compounded drug in the same way. So, of course, compounding does add additional layers of risk. You know, we know that that format and strength of that medication has not been specifically proven to be safe or effective. Um, veterinarians are responsible for making sure that any compounded drugs they use or prescribe are formulated correctly. And there are definitely professional pet pharmacies out there that specialize in making compounded drugs for animals. And, you know, we can order from these suppliers and get these medications made up for them.
1: So me, though, as Joe Public, who goes in and, and is curious or may have certain stances um, with concerns, oh, that, that whether they're legitimate or not. How would I know if my pet is getting a compounded drug?
4: Well, in Ontario, with a few exceptions, you know, your veterinarian is actually required to tell you if they want to give your pet a compounded medication. Um they will notify you that the medication has not been through the government's approval process, which makes its safety or efficacy unproven and thus not definitively known. As with all other medications, they'll advise you if you need to take any safety precautions when handling the drug or any side effects you should watch for in your pet. And they might ask you to sign a consent form acknowledging that you have been made aware that your pet has pers- been prescribed a compounded medication and the potential risks involved. So, you know, you, you'll, you should be told
2: (laughs) okay Uh, are compounded drugs monitored Danielle for uh, you know making sure that they're okay for problems or all of these other things like approved drugs are
4: sure that's a good question Um, if a pet has a reaction to a medication you know we can call the company that makes it and report that reaction to them and then of course they in turn send in reports on these problems to Health Canada um, there is actually no uh, requirement for vets to report reactions to compounded medications. Having said that, you know that there is a process in place to do just that, and we are encouraged to call the Veterinary Drugs Directorate Arm of Health Canada and report it if something does happen. So that's definitely something that, you know, if your pet has a reaction, you can ask your vet to do that.
1: So what are our options? If, If, I mean, our vet says, hey... I recommend this compounded medication. And we say, well, I don't know. I don't don't think I want my pet on that.
4: And that does happen. You know, sometimes when we start going through the, you know, the risks and benefits, people are like, you know, I don't know if I'm okay with that. You know, so if that's the case, you know, you can decline any treatment that your vet recommends. Um, your vet may be able to prescribe something else which may not be their first choice for medication um, but they can discuss the risks and benefits of that with you um, they may also be able to offer suggestions for easier methods to get a health Canada approved medication into your pet so like you were talking earlier peanut butter pill pockets you know whatever we have to do here right <laughs> bribery <laughs> um, they may also be able to give you a lesson on how to pill your pet or how to give the medication that is approved. Um, Other options that, you know, you could talk to them about or consider, you know, you might be able to get someone else to give your pet their medication if you can't do it yourself. Um, Veterinary technicians, assistants, and even some pet sitters do offer that service, you know, Um, or maybe you're lucky and your neighbor is just really, really good at pilling cats. (laughs) Sometimes it just takes a bit of creative problem solving to solve some of these little problems.
2: Yeah. It's kind of interesting to hear about like what is normalized or what is very much a popular option, especially out of convenience, I guess, for uh, your pet parents to to be dealing with pets who are needing (laughs) to be medicated. Uh, But then to think, you know, how many people really do put their hands up and say, I'm concerned about this option, or you know, are there alternate alternative options for us, Danielle? Do you get a lot of that?
4: I think um, occasionally, usually when we start talking about the, you know, the informed consent part of it, where we say, okay, you know, people usually accept your recommendation until they start hearing about the informed consent. And then we do have some people that will say, you know, I'm not really sure I'm comfortable with this. I don't really want to sign that form. Okay, so let's go back to the drawing board and, you know, see what we can do. Um, The majority of people, I think, are okay with it, you know, Um, they don't seem to have too many um, concerns with it. And, you know, and again, with that risk versus benefit analysis that your vet is always doing in the back of their mind on behalf Mm -hmm. of your pet, you know, I think a lot of people are just comfortable, they know what they're doing, they're okay with it.
2: Danielle, thank you so much. This has been really insightful. Um, and you know, I've spent like zero time thinking about this, just thinking like, okay, it's beef flavored. Sounds good. <laughs> we will take it. <laughs> so appreciate that. No problem. Yeah, thank you. And we'll talk to you next week. Dr. Danielle Johnkind is our veterinarian who joins us on Tuesdays for Ask a Vet and all the time giving us insightful information on things regarding our pets. After the break, we have a bi weekly wellness chat. That is today. Today's the bi weekly. And we're talking about reflexology. What is it? How can we benefit from it? What makes it different than a regular massage? We'll talk all about that on Wellness with Francis Wong after the break.
0: Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Romia return with more in a moment.
2: It's a fun time when you join us on weekdays for Kelly and Ramia. A new episode every weekday. Wow, can you imagine? Two hours of fantastic content, conversation, guests, contributors, on a variety of subjects. You can always tune in live at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Uh, we're also available on AMI-audio and on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Kelly hmm. McDonald, I'm over to you. Gosh, for the podcast, man, mm. because hmm. that's the only way you can just kind of listen to the repeats. You get two Otherwise, on AMI Audio and TV. And that's all, folks, till the next one comes. Wow. Anyway, folks, speaking of what's up next, let's uh, chat about the world of health and wellness with Francis Wong.
5: Hello, I'm Francis Wong, and I invite you to join me as we explore topics of health and wellness so that you can make the best choices for you to live an informed and radiant life.
1: Of course, Francis, welcome back to the show. Um, Again, one of these great topics, but I think something that sometimes we sit back and say, oh, I wonder what that is and how that might be a benefit to me. It's been a while since the COVID lockdowns, and one of the things that people missed most was human interaction and, more importantly, human touch. We're here to touch the talk uh, on the practice of reflexology today with Francis, what it is and how we can benefit from it. Francis, again, welcome back. And can you tell us a little bit more about reflexology?
5: Thank you, Kelly. As a child, if one falls and hurts themselves, they usually cry and sometimes will hold onto that body part part that they hurt. Like if they fell off the swing and landed on their knees, they may grab their knees. As an adult, if I bang my elbow or stub my toe, I will sometimes uh, get something, I will maybe swear out loud if it was super painful, but I'll definitely use my hand to rub that elbow or grab that foot that I banged. And the interesting thing is that it's an instinctive thing that we do. We don't stop and think, gee, I should rub my elbow or my toes. So scientists have suggested now that stroking our own skin may cancel out the sensation of pain by shutting down the brain's response to touch so that we don't register that pain. And a most obvious example that shows how you can see that we're programmed to respond and react to other people's touch but not our own is when we try to tickle ourselves. We generally cannot. Yeah. Yeah. So, however, we do respond to the touch of others, such as massages, and this is where reflexology comes in. Reflexology is a type of massage where the reflexologist applies different amounts of pressure to the hands, feet,
2: and ears. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like a typical massage, and I'm sure that's what we're going to get into. Why are they targeting hands, feet, and ears specifically?
5: That's a good question, Ramya. There are a few theories about this, mostly that your hands, feet, and ears are connected to certain organs and body systems, and that by applying pressure to these points, it can help to release stress and promote healing, similar to acupuncture, but without the needles. In fact, the World Health Organization Scientific Group proposed a standard international acupuncture nomenclature and specifically 90 points on the air. So have you ever been to the doctor and had a physical exam where you're sitting on the patient bed and the doctor taps your knee? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So what happens when your knee
1: gets tapped? Uh, if, if done right, it jumps. Your foot would probably yeah, likely that. be the one to jump.
2: Yeah. What do you call yes. it? Yeah. I guess reflex. It's
1: it's reflex. Yep, <laughs> it exactly. I'm just going to yeah. check your reflex, so, you know, quite on all yeah. the old TV shows. That's like, when you kick someone to a wall. Yeah. yeah that's what like, you know.
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so instinctively, your foot will kick out. So in reflexology and acupressure, reflex points that are stimulated on one part of the body affects another part of the body, just like when you tap your knee, but your foot actually is the one that goes moving. So Whereas when you get a massage, you're generally feeling the effects directly beneath your hands. So if someone is massaging your neck muscles, you're going to feel the neck muscles. But if you're getting reflexology on the center of the sole of your foot, sure you'll feel it on your foot, but it's actually
1: affecting your kidneys oh i I just think of what kind of roadmap, like like as you learn reflexology or or or, you know anything like this um to know okay this happens this is where it's going to help i know that's all that education one gets but how is it that pressing one part of the body affects another francis
5: yeah so there are several theories as to how reflexology works Let's start with the basics. We know that we are made of matter and energy, but what is matter made of? Well, in a science alert from 2020, physicists have suggested that all matter may be made up of energy fragrance, which would mean essentially that everything is made up of energy. So one theory of reflexology is based on traditional Chinese medicine. In Chinese medicine, our energy or vital energy or life force is known as qi when this life force gets stuck in our body and isn't flowing well is when dis-ease or disease occurs. And I've given this example before when we were discussing acupuncture. But if you imagine a garden hose that has water flowing through it as chi, and then someone twists that garden hose and creates a knot, that water or chi gets stuck or blocked. And in the case of the hose, it can back up and create issues elsewhere. Mm. In our body, when we are stressed, we end up creating blocks for our chi. And that is where both acupuncture and reflexology come in to help rebalance the body. So Chinese medicine practitioners believe that Qi disruptions create an imbalance in the body's energy, which can lead to illness. So, the purpose of reflexology is to keep that qi flowing throughout the body so that we can remain balanced and, and disease-free. In Chinese medicine, different body parts correspond to different pressure points on the body. So there are reflexology maps that map the ears, hands, and feet to specific organs in the body. And the reflexologist knows where they should apply pressure to affect a specific organ. In reflexology, the belief is that the touch sends energy flowing through a person's body until it reaches the area that needs healing and balance.
2: Interesting, okay, yeah. And I mean, we see it in our bodies anyway, right? Like actual physical blockages and such. So the, the thing around um, reflexology specifically is we're talking a lot more about energy. What are some other theories around reflexology?
5: Yeah, it's definitely about energy. And Mm -hmm. there are three more theories that I'll talk about. So British scientists, Sir Henry Head and Sir Charles Sherrington discovered in the 1890s that nerves connected the skin and internal organs. They found that the body's entire nervous system has a tendency to adjust to outside factors such as touch. And so this theory is that a reflexologist touch may help to calm the central nervous system. The pressure or touch applied sends a message to the central nervous system, which in turn signals the body to adjust the tension level, therefore promoting relaxation and other benefits similar to a massage. Another theory is called zone theory, where the body is divided into 10 vertical zones. The zones are similar, but not the same as meridians found in Chinese medicine. Each zone corresponds to fingers and toes and runs up the body, and every organ falls within a zone. So you can access the organ by pressing the point on the corresponding finger or toe. Like the British theory, it's thought that these pathways between the points on the fingers or toes and the organs in the body are connected through the nervous system. And one other theory is known as gate control theory or neural matrix theory of pain. And this theory points, uh, posits that pain is a subjective experience created by your brain. So if you can influence the brain, you can also affect your experience of pain. Reflexology can do this by reducing stress and improving your mood.
1: That one interests me because you know, you talk about pain thresholds that people have, each one yeah. of those very different than, than the other or what people can endure. Um, It seems from what you're saying, Francis, that the body may feel relaxed after reflexology. So what are some of the benefits of having that reflexology session? uh, And should we be aware of any side effects?
5: Yes, so you're correct. Most people will feel more relaxed after a session. Unfortunately, there isn't a lot of research done on reflexology, but in a 2000 study, researchers looked at cancer patients who had breast or lung cancer and found that those who had reflexology reported lower levels of anxiety than those who didn't receive reflexology. And then a different study on women experiencing uh, pain in premenstrual syndromes found that those who received two months of reflexology sessions reported significantly fewer PMS symptoms than women who did not. More studies need to be done, but it seems that benefits include a reduction in pain and in anxiety for some people, but results may vary based on each individual. And then in terms of side effects, some people have reported mild side effects, such as tender feet, and I guess that goes to how sensitive one may be, and lightheadedness or emotional sensitivity.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, How do massage, reflexology, and acupuncture differ.
5: So one of the main differences is that in a massage the person receiving the treatment removes their clothing to receive the massage. In reflexology clothes are kept on except the shoes are removed so that the reflexologist is able to work on the feet. Massage therapists work on the body from the outside in where they will focus on manipulating the muscle muscles or fascia to release tension whereas reflexologists work on the body from the inside out, where stimulating the nervous system releases outward tension. Reflexology is more similar to acupuncture and acupressure in that the theory is based on influencing the body's vital energy through the stimulation of points on the body. There is a difference, though, as the reflex points used in reflexology don't always line up with the same points used in acupuncture and acupressure. Interesting.
1: Wow. That's very interesting. So are there people who should not be doing reflexology?
5: Yeah, so as with any kind of uh, treatment, it's a good idea to take precautions, especially if you have uh, any chronic health conditions, by running it past your doctor. Reflexology is beneficial for most people, but because it works to improve blood circulation in the body, people with blood clots or those who are pregnant should also avoid reflexology. People who have conditions that affect their feet, like a foot injury or gout, may still be able to receive reflexology by having it done on their hands or their ears reflexology is seen as a complementary treatment not a medical one it may help relieve some pain for certain conditions but by itself should not be seen as primary care and reflexologists don't diagnose or treat illnesses but can help the body heal itself and ease some of the pain that people may have and of course it's nice to have some
1: human touch very good um and again when we talk about that that the mental health piece of it um are just feeling would you say that that kind of pampered feeling hey you know the connections that one can can have and obviously feet they take a lot of abuse overall and I think there's that level of um even if it's just relaxing them more right Francis that Mm. that is absolutely crucial
5: Absolutely. I mean, even if you go into this experience without expecting much, I think it's nice to have that human connection, that human touch, that someone else is, you know, also doing the work for you. You're not, I mean, of yes. course you can massage your own feet, but it's nice having someone do it for you.
2: I've tried acupuncture and, of course, you know, the traditional massages and stuff, but reflexology, as you said, it's not as known, Francis, or promoted. Like now it's great because we got all these, um, Different options for people, right? And kind of, I find that going into one naturopathic uh, option gives you insight into more, and you know, you feel more connected to these options overall, which is great compared to, you know, several years ago where people were just very, very unaware of everything altogether.
5: Yeah. And it is again, complementary, So it works with other, you know, treatments. So it's nice to have a little mix and you can just try it out and see if it works for you.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I find, you know, we used to hear a lot about the acupuncture, what it was, and some certain people felt, I don't know if I want that, and other people were very big on the idea of it. Um, so I think it it steps out ahead of some of the other treatments, like reflexology, but uh, I love the idea of, of a person who discovers that thing that works, but just giving them a try and seeing what part of reflexology or, or or a massage may work for you and maybe other parts don't um, and maybe you're better with shoulder work or or lower you know lower back work uh, when it comes to a massage and not so much with your legs you may not notice as much and I think that's very um it's kind of subjective isn't it Francis
5: it is and also this is a good option if you're someone who really doesn't like needles
1: you bet thanks Francis you're welcome. Francis Wong joins us bi-weekly to talk wellness opposite our nutrition segment with Julia Carantis.
2: We're going to get into a performance opportunity in a second after the break. Native Earth, that's uh, the organization presenting it, is bringing us a dance piece that teaches us about the Grassy Narrows tragedy and the people defending and uh, taking care of this community, protecting it today. We're going to be joined by the creator, Wawate Fovester, after the break on Kelly and Rumia.
0: keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
2: Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramya on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, and podcasts. Uh, We are joining you on a Tuesday afternoon, and we've got a lot going on past this first hour, but before we wrap up the first hour, let's get into a very interesting uh, and important performance-slash-production that's coming up that we want to tell you about. So, uh, Native Earth is the production company behind this, and Native Earth is bringing us Omagaman by Wawa Fobuster at Aki Studio. This is happening from February 15th to 18th, 2024. And this is a dance piece. So uh, the intention behind this dance piece, um, which is choreographed and performed by multiple Dora Award winner, Wawa Fabister, uses movement, sound, and storytelling to illustrate the fierce land defenders of grassy narrows. And this is in the ongoing uh, logging and the lasting effects of mercury poisoning. So obviously a huge conversation around that. And who better to Talk more about this, uh, then with the, the performer, the creator, the choreographer, Wawate Fabister. So, thank you for coming on, Kelly and Ramiya. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really curious about this production, of course. But before we get to that, can you talk to us a little bit about the Grassy Narrows tragedy? For anyone who's just learning about what this is, uh, what is the impact that this has on the community?
6: right um so there was a um um paper mill that was dumping um mercury into the river system which was upstream of our communities and so they've been dumping um, mercury in like the, the waste of the paper mill into the river system since the 50s 60s and um yeah so and it just and it's been and our people has been like we live off the water and the water was our main source of food and mm. economy, and yeah, and so it's been just devastating to our people because we mm. consume the fish, and fish was all was our huge um, part of our our livelihood, and so yeah, and so it's just it's so it had devastating effects to our people, making our people sick and and just destroying like the landscape and. Yeah, so that's the like, biggest thing in a nutshell, really. Yeah, and can you clarify for us geographically where this community is located
2: so people get an understanding?
6: Yeah, it's in northwestern Ontario, so just like um, on the corner, there, just before you hit Manit- um, Manitoba into Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. So we're about yeah, so it's we're about two hours um, away from Winnipeg. Um, yeah, so we're in the corner, the northwest corner there. Okay. Thank you.
1: I remember the stories when this was brought to light and a lot of dismissing. And I'm sure what people heard as it became a national story, uh, people really were hearing the I don't want to say the end, but certainly a a cry out uh, about this, you know, tragedy and what was being done and the disrespect to the water, to the cultures, to everything. Because, you know, you're talking your your food supply, your water, but just a dismissing of the concerns. So uh, wonderful. I'm I'm kind of curious with your personal journey, how did you create this project and, and knowing and certainly being close to it?
6: um well it was like a long time coming like it's cuz it's been like since been around since i was you know born really right. and um and like i knew it was an important piece of my my community and where i come from and so it was always brewing like how do i how do i how do i you know how do i bring this story forward like mm-hmm. so it's been like on my mind since really the beginning of my career which Twenty years, so it's just been brewing inside. And basically, I just bring in what what makes me feel like I'm like my my strengths as a as an artist, because there's clowning in it too, and um, and dance and movement and storytelling and language, and you know and just and bringing all my Nishnabe um, cosmology, our stories, and infusing it into Into like the technique of dance and the technique of theater and the technique of storytelling through um, from the lens of me being Anishinaabe and our our philosophies and our way of thinking and you know and bringing that into you know performance and it's and I had a lot of residencies so just a lot of time Mm -hmm. to just so I took my time and um, yeah so it was a long time coming really.
1: can you, can you just talk a little bit for people who don't know about the residencies, when you say that and what the value and how important those are?
6: Yeah, so I'm talking about art residencies. So like I did, like I did um art residency in Toronto with Roo, at Buddies in Bad Times Theater at Rhubarb, at the BAM Center in um in Alberta. I to, so I was able to go in a dance studio there and work with artists, with my artists, my, artist, my my chosen artist that I chose to work with, and um, yeah, so and there was and there was Native Earth had one too, so they, they helped nurture this piece too. So yeah. so it's kind of a full circle with Native Earth too. So it started as like a um, a five minute piece, and then so and then they gave it more development and and so just building and building and building. Um, so just kind of building my blocks at a time, like, throughout the years. So, right. yeah. One those residencies,
1: that's fantastic.
6: hmm
2: And I mean, because it's such a huge, vast conversation, there's so much that I'm sure you've had to sit with to, uh, you know, from how it's going to be presented and performed to the kind of messaging and tone that you're putting out there. But let's start with this name of the production, which is Omagaman.
6: What does it mm-hmm. mean? What uh, what is that come um, from? Yeah, it's in my language in mm-hmm. and it means um, biting some him or her. Okay. Excuse me. Um so why I wanted to use um biting is because um I identify as two-spirited and um and so I created this character based on the the the, uh the the fierce land defenders of my community and the and also the stories of my my grandma my mom like all the women of my that influenced me and mm-hmm. so basically it's um what I thought of it is just the the earth the mercury going into the, all the Earth's layers mm-hmm. and there's like soil clay rock you know and and then becoming a creature of um of of all those thing, elements of the land, and, and then also the mercury, and so she, and becomes this this being, and and using like the philosophy of being nishnabe, you know, and and so how how magman comes to a, a natural being, um, but being fierce and kind of like saying enough is enough, right, and and. Like, yeah, so, yeah, so basically that's how it came about, and, and it happened on the power trail, like when I was dancing, and, and yeah, so, mm. so it well, is a fight, incredible.
2: you know, like this is not just a a conversation or a um an understanding for people who don't know about the the tragedy and the situation, but this is really a fight back, and I think we'll get more into that in terms of the performance and how it, it attributes to the conversation.
6: Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it totally is. It's like, because it's, to me, it's kind of like, um, poetic justice a bit, like, just, yeah, yeah. of like, you know, being, um, because I don't want to like, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I want to be like, be a word of the hand. So like, there's just ways of how to go about it. And I'm not a separatist. So like, I want to be able to come to an understanding and, you know, and, uh, we all live here together. Yeah. And you know, we gotta live and we gotta find ways how to how how what that is, what does that look like and, and you know, accomplish something like that as as we all gather here and um yeah, and just Magaman was just be like, please respect um us, please respect the land, please respect you know our people, you know. So it's kind of like her um which one of her bottom lines really what she says, you know. Otherwise, I'll bite really hard <laughs>
1: Exactly that. And the bite is through that theme, whether you're talking about the eating stuff that contains the mercury, the land, you know, gulping it up and, and what it does in the way of harm going forward and how you have to fight or bite back to say, hey, this is this is wrong. Right. Now, I'm curious, because you're using different methods to do so in a show, and I, I know we try to stimulate an audience to understand us but to be entertained but that understand us is what you're going for here so how do you use movement dance and storytelling to capture the tragedy
6: um well like I, to me it's about i guess just capturing the, the spirit of being an Anishinaabe and mm-hmm. and me just me channeling my my ancestors and The ones that have passed from mercury poisoning, you know, and because I'm speaking for them too. Right. Voices and, and, uh, you know, and it's come from me. It's come from a really true, honest place. And, um, and through my, uh, like my dance, because I'm a power dancer. And, you know, so I went to training, like in my dance training. And then, and then another way is clown, which is just, you know, just, being in the present in the moment with the audience and just connecting with each audience member and like and using native res humor um to find that connection so i, I make sure i really connect with with all the audience members and yeah just and i know I have a lot of power and i feel and i feel that power when i'm telling this story because it's a really important um, story to tell um, for my people. And connecting with
1: that audience is too, especially trying to make them understand Wawate.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it is, it's like when you come, like, I just did like a workshop of it in in Winnipeg um, in September, and people were like, I don't know what this was, but it was so powerful, it was so moving, and I'm like, i what what do you call what you do <laughs> mm. um, um well i just use my like, like for me i i um as anishinaabe like we we um we sing we dance we tell stories and it just and so it's a combination of everything you know so that's right. what it is being telling from the um, a real honest place as anishinaabe of wanting and- to protect the land and take care of the land Because like the way the earth is going right now, it's it's scary. It's (laughs) scary for us. And absolutely just another way of like from Anishinaabhai perspective of how to take care of like and it's important to take care of the land and the water because the rate that we're going, it's like I don't know how long we're
2: gonna happen. <laughs> well, it's terrifying, and the thing is, we have so many of these big, big picture conversations around uh, where where climate change is involved, but um, oftentimes we don't t- take a microscope to these communities, to these places, these people, and and think like, how is this particular area being affected, and what are they trying to tell us? So this mm-hmm. is. You and how you're trying to tell us. Thank you so much. Um, give us the final details on how people can tune in, where people can go.
6: Yeah, so I have. I'm doing two um, cities. I'm actually doing Montreal prior, and um, I'm at the Mai, which is the Montreal Arts Interculturals, um, which will be on February eight, nine, and ten, and then I come to Toronto um, at the Aki Studio in Regent Park when that is uh, 15, 16, 17, I believe, 18. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, don't, I forget what the date But, yeah, um, so Toronto and Montreal. And and um, since I'm starting the tour, this is the very first start, like, I'm wanting to, like, reach out more, and people have actually been reaching out, so there's Excellent. More, more time, more uh, more cities to, to go to in the future. so Well, we hope and, you get all the support... All the support because
2: mm-hmm. this it was a long time coming for you and a long time building as you said so thank you for coming on this show to uh tell us more about it and give us context and all the best good luck much
6: for having me thank you
2: we were thank speaking you with Wauwatefobister uh, about Native Earth's production of Omagaman at Aki Studio in Toronto from February 15th to 18th, 2024, of talking about the Grass and tragedy. So check that out. Also, stick around for Hour 2 of Kelly and Ramia. We're speaking with two members of the Anti-Human Trafficking Committee at Peel Children's Aid Society. Also, we got woodworking with Jeff Thompson. He's going to tell us how we can frame our pictures and put up our curtains. But up next, we're talking about arts and crafts in Pictou County, Nova Scotia, with community reporter Julie Martin. We'll be right back.
0: Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
2: back to Kelly and Ramia. It's hour two of the show. I'm Ramia Umadhan with Kelly McDonald. We're your hosts, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV, Monday to Friday. And then we're also available on AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern and available on your podcast platform wherever, whenever. And that's why you listen to podcasts. Kelly,
1: how's it going? Well, folks, it's time, as we uh, (laughs) Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays do on the show. <laughs> Get into visiting with our community reporters. I want to know how you're doing. Sure you do.
2: Starting hour uh, two.
1: <laughs> oh, starting hour two. I'm gonna tell you, I gotta be honest with you. Since the end of hour one, have slid maybe a point of a mood shift. Just, just to notice, mm. just a little bit. Not cold, not a feeling of that, not frustrated, not, not even overjoyed. Just a shift about a point one. Mm. That's how I am. All right. Sorry, asked now.
2: There, I feel good now. Thanks
1: for telling me. <laughs> we visit with our community reporters on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays on the show. This is great because these folks are from different regions around the country, and they bring to us things that are going on and observations in their areas. It's time to get our uh, community report from Pictou County, Nova Scotia. We welcome in Julie Martin. Julie, it's been a while. Um, best of the season to you. How are you? <laughs> The best of
7: the season to you too, Kelly. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, everything is just... I like i oh. having a rough time, but
1: oh, it's nice here. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> rough now. We've been really lucky. Luck ran out, some would say. Some are happy because finally they can do their winter thing, ski, maybe even skate if they can find some decent ice. But I think we're um, too close to the freezing point where we are uh, to make it really nice to... Julie, you've got a lot of things to talk about. I want, I'm fascinated by your first item today. Discover the Fabric of Pictou County at the Museum of Industries. I love this kind of thing that we learn about a place.
7: Oh, it's it's a really nice museum. I mean, they've always got something going on. Um, it's a great place to to go visit at any time. Um, however, the exhibit that starts this Saturday, the 27th from 1 till 3 at the Stellaton Museum of Industries is um, the art, tactile art support group that is run in Pictou County here um, with Sarah Moja, the artist. Um, this is the first project that we did with Sarah when this group started the visually impaired of Pictou County, we made a quilt and it's a tactile quilt. And oh. we, it's going to be on display at the Museum of Industries included in this art exhibit.
8: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, I'm really proud of the quilt, I really am. We each got two squares and we got to decorate it however we wanted, um, but the in the center of every square was an eyeball so it was how we it was the name of the quilt is life through our eyes so you know everybody
1: incorporating that eyeball
7: yeah incorporating that eyeball and there's some of them have tactile eyelashes and one of mine has braille it has my children's name in tactile braille on it and i mean they're just every square is beautiful and every square tells a story And then this year we've been working on making um, place settings. So we've made bowls and um, um, uh, like placemats, but all out of um, tactile uh, mosaic mainly is what we've been working on. But we've also been working on a tablecloth. So that's going to be on display as well. So I'm, I'm just thrilled that we're being asked to include our art in an exhibition like
1: that That, that's very flattering julie i'm kind of curious whenever you'd show yours off uh yourself or any of the others with the eye incorporated how many times did you have to say it's all fun and games so someone has here's my eye or have an (laughs) eye um julie have you always always been a quilter
7: no, I've never quilted no, before new, in my right? life. Like I didn't oh, wow. all we did was design the squares and then Sarah sewed them all together. Um, but it was it like I said, each one tells a story. I actually mm. on one of my eyeballs, I wrote in the circle, like going around where the Irish would be, um a line from a Silla Black song. The other eyes may see the stars up in the sky, but for me they shine within your eyes. Because I've never seen stars in the sky. Mm -hmm. But when I look at my kids' eyes and my grandkids' eyes, they just twinkle like I imagine stars would. So that's that's why and then all there was yeah, it's just
1: Sorry, so, I died. No, no, no. I was going to say, I think that's just such a wonderful example because it, what a parallel because of what you can see, especially looking into your grandkids' eyes and so on, and to bring that to the work. Um, for them wanting to utilize the, your stuff when they told you guys, in the, you know, hey, we're going to be putting these a part of the show, how flattering? Oh,
7: very flattering. And I'm so proud of everybody that goes to those groups and Sarah I mean the work that girl does because she enjoys helping our community do something that's so meaningful and therapeutic that's the biggest yeah. thing
1: Yeah. You know? well congratulations I think that's just Thank
6: tremendous you. Mm-hmm.
2: Julie uh, we want to get outside and play even though we it's do. kind of maybe miserable outside this could be helpful for us so Not what are we talking there. about? Not there.
7: not here. The sun's shining. We finally got some snow. Okay. Um, But not just in Pictou County. All over Nova Scotia, because Hike Nova Scotia took this project on when Pictou County first did it, cited guides for hiking, walking, and snowshoeing. And so just call your local parks and rec or... Your hike Nova Scotia. Get in touch with them. There are Nordic walking poles available here in Pictou nice. County Free of charge, so you can feel you know a little more stable. And we also have the kick sleds, which are just amazing. What I mean, kick sleds? So much fun. They're cross-country skis that are attached almost to a walker, oh. so you kick with one leg in and one leg on the ski and one leg in the middle if you're going down a bit of a slope or you get some speed up you can put your legs on both you can steer and there's a little seat on the front as well so if you get tired you can sit and hang out you know or open up your flask of hot chocolate while you sit and watch the beautiful that's all you have in a flask and, like, yeah
0: Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. <laughs> I love that. Um, also, I w- I wonder, like, the skis themselves would be sized differently for this, right? No, no,
7: they're mm. all one size. They're actually permanently attached to um, the walker. So you've okay. got the stability of being able to hold on. And, you know, I mean, you can sit on the seat and have somebody else push you around, yeah. if you That's fair, too. It's just, you know, get out, go play. Yeah, it's cold, but we live in Canada. Wrap up and get
2: outside, you know. Yeah, true. And And all of this, right? The Nordic walking, the cross country, the snowshoeing. Some of it is just very relaxing, but still outdoor options.
7: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's not over. You don't have to be, you know, the most energetic person to go out and just do something. No. You know, a little stroll around the lakes or down the Mm. the trail beside the ocean. I mean, just gorgeous. That's right. You guys
2: have ocean, too. Like, there's so many reasons to still get out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, get your friends And the
1: beautiful thing is that fact that it's just get moving a little. We've now we're we're beyond the oh you got to go out and do a hike Mm -hmm. or you've got to go do a six mile ski run or whatever. It's any little thing just to get the body moving for any period of time twenty minutes, an hour, four hours, whatever. Julian, that's really positive one, especially with our community
7: yes exactly and it's the mental health aspect yep. of just getting outside and enjoying the fresh air and the you need to leave your you house. Know, in,
2: everything do we um just one more clarification for the site of guide program is, is it just you get a hold of uh, what did you call it a hike
7: yeah, either hike Nova Scotia mm-hmm. or your local
2: parks and recreation okay and they'll help you set all of that up that's awesome they'll help mm-hmm. you, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's it's so amazing because we now see so many people getting vision and not just those of us in the disability community, others saying, how can we involve more people now? Um, it's it's almost like that thing that's become a little contagious. And I know there are people listening who will say, not in my area. And, and I get that. I, I understand it's not across the board, uh-huh. across the country, across the world. But Julie, we're so lucky because slowly, bit by bit, it's expanding bit. and ex, ex, uh, access is there.
7: Uh, exactly, and people—I don't care where you live—people want to help. They just don't know how to help because we've been invisible for right. so long. So just give them a solution. You know, tell them what the issue is, but try and give them a solution to it as well, and they'll yeah. run with it.
1: And they will give it a kick. Give they it you know, and 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 try for people out there saying, I'd like to do this, reach out and maybe plant that idea somewhere and say, hey, how yeah. can I get this done? And so many organizations yeah. are happy to help you. Julia, as usual, and wonderful come... talk.
7: Oh, no, I gotta quickly say before you kick me off, Arlene, AKA Coffee Monster, she lives in Toronto, Ontario. She's a great asset to the international blind cafe community. And I promised her I would say, hi, Arlene.
1: Hi, Arlene. (laughs) Hi, Arlene. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Uh, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, We'll talk to you next month, Julie.
7: Yes. Absolutely, stay safe, guys. Thanks. You, you too.
1: Enjoy the nice weather that you have and Rummy doesn't. Anyway, folks, uh, Julie Martin wow. is our community reporter in Pictou County, Nova Scotia. We visit with our community reporters once a month, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays on the show.
2: Is it really that obvious that I'm bitter about the weather? Anyway. Oh
1: gosh, yeah. Oh my Ooh, god.
2: Okay, I got to work on that. After the break, we got woodworking. This is a monthly conversation we have with Jeff Thompson, and he's talking about finding structural studs for our curtains our pictures all kinds of stuff that we need to frame and hang or put up on our walls in some way anyway he's going to tell us more about that after the break
0: don't go away there's more great conversation with kelly and ramya right around the corner
2: looking ahead to the rest of the year Kel's planning vacations and such you know yes. keeping people posted about what's going on
1: keeping things scheduled into your schedule that mm-hmm. the company says you're supposed to be here now we're supposed and now to you take off time say, oh.
2: like now we're supposed to try to tell people when we're going to be taking off time throughout the year but they want it as soon as we can oh. I
1: thought you were talking about all oh. this time you've had off the last week on the show
2: yeah right I was sick that wasn't fun time off. Also, it was barely any time off. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know how to do that. Are you good at scheduling for the upcoming yeah. year?
1: Yeah. Really? Well, I'm good at scheduling. I I don't know That's in particular. Because so I'm, many I'm, vacation days. I'm like... just more flexible than you are. I just <laughs> exactly you know, with the numbers. You, yeah, I just get <laughs> you know. Oh well, and I just think ahead, and then I always try to figure out. Okay, I don't want anyone inconveniencing me, so I'll just do that wow. and inconvenience them. Yeah.
2: But you're mm-hmm. also a fan of your staycation, so that's, like,
1: more flexible in general. Anyway. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Yeah,
2: okay. Uh, we're going to have our monthly stay woodworking conversation things now. to
1: do when you stay, Kate, okay. just us, like when you travel. Keep
2: us posted when you're actually traveling, okay?
1: Just actually cheaper. It is cheaper.
2: Do the weekenders like I do. Let's get to it. Yeah, but it. you go to the same places. No, oh, no. Let's get yeah, to our rain. woodworking conversation. This we do with Jeff Thompson.
9: Hi, I'm Jeff Thompson. Let's talk wood, practical woodworking from a blindness perspective. It's not, can I do it? It's how can I do it? Now let's get started.
2: Jeff, you want to get on in this, uh, get in on this fight? About vacation versus staycation?
1: He's, he's out for you today.
2: I know. It just started, um, too. It was pretty good the first I, You know three what's funny, Jeff?
1: It's just funny when she tries to rope people in. It's like that old saying, you know, the more people that agree with me, the more right I am. No, yeah. there could just be more people that are well, wrong. Votes. It just, just means votes. more people are wrong.
2: Okay. That sounds like a. <laughs> have you ever heard of the phrase you problem? <laughs>
1: No, I've heard of it in the right application. Not the right application.
2: Okay, Jeff, you don't have to tell us. Don't tell us about staycation versus vacation, but we are going to talk about... He's
1: a woodworker. He has has all sorts of goodies at home to keep him home. Structural And Duds.
2: I don't even know what this means, so you're going to have to really tell
1: us. Obviously. Um,
2: But curtains, pictures, all kinds of stuff. So... I guess this is about finding the spot right the spots in your walls or around your homes that are good for hanging and framing first is that what this really yeah. about okay
9: yeah i mean a lot of people ask me all the time like how do i find a spot to hang a picture well how heavy is the picture that depends a light picture you could just do a nail at an angle go into the wall But then when you start getting into shelves or curtain rods, valances, drapes, that Mm. type of thing, then you need a little bit of structure, something behind the wall to bite into to give it some really good grip.
1: Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean... I always get curious when you talk about finding that right spot, Jeff, and, you know, knowing where, where. okay, so here's where I think it's going to go well. Will it hold on here or basically will this be hanging on mm-hmm. to the drywall?
9: Exactly, because drywall won't hold a lot of weight. It'll mm-hmm. hold a little picture, a little memoir or something like that, yeah. but you're not going to get you're not going to get some structure on there so if you take like drapes or valances and ramia you gave me a call last about a year ago yeah i, I was telling was.
2: them yeah you helped yeah. me put my curtains up
9: so <laughs> virtually if if you take a doorway on an exterior wall a doorway or a window there's typically a header above that a support piece of board and that's a huge piece of wood that goes across the top of the windows. And to hold that up, there's probably two, two by 4s or 2 by 6s holding that up. So that gives you three inches to the side of the window as well. So there is a lot of solid area there to go into. Mm-hmm. And when you're, you know, for a drape like that or something, if you want to be straight, the window's typically pretty straight and the ceiling's pretty straight. So when you're up that high, you can always measure it with your click ruler, get uh, measurements like that. But the one of the <laughs> other things is if there's someone else in the house I can see, they'll
1: look at it and go,
2: eh.
1: Right. <laughs> no matter what you do. It
2: happened before. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it looks just a little off. Uh, um, so, okay, what you're saying then, if, if we look at you can't just really walk up and screw into any place that you want to. Um, we're talking weight. We're talking that balance. I know some people go finding the stud if something's too big. Yeah.
9: Well, they have tools and stuff, but the main thing is trying to figure out what kind of structure is behind the wall. And for us, you can do it without vision, really, but with, you know, to see through the walls, tongue in cheek there, um, to find out what could be behind that wall so you have a better opportunity to. You know, do it right. I mean, I've had times where I put four holes in, I still didn't find anything, and I don't want anyone watching me do it while I'm doing no. that. I just have to no. fill it back but what in. what are
1: your ways to? I mean, I mean, you know, the proverbial knock, knock, knock that some people do and swear mm-hmm. by that, or touching and and I I I know you can to some degree. Hey, that that's a solid enough part. I mean, obviously with the whole wall, and you realize, oh my goodness, this is a load bearing wall. It's solid. Um, but if you are looking for that hang on to place that that you can go through and put something with a little more weight. Do you rely on the knock, knock,
9: knock? Yeah, we all do that. We tap a mm. couple times and you can hear the hollow, then you hear it solid, then you find another one. And typically there's 16 inches on center. So apart. if you find yep. one, you can right. guesstimate 16 inches over tap again or something. They also have stud finders, where it'll try and pick up the nail or the screw that is holding your sheetrock on or whatever substrate you're using on the wall, and it'll locate those. And they have little sensors. Some have two sensors. Some have 13 sensors. Some even go as far as letting you know if there's electrical or steel behind there in case there's piping or plumbing or gas line of some sort. So it's good to figure things out, but there's... Other ways of finding it out too, like for plaster walls, if your home is in the fifties, typically they use the plaster board or plaster itself. It's harder to use sensors. So you do have some indications like next to a light switch, next to an outlet or a heat vent typically they put that between the studs or against the studs so it'll screw onto. So if you can investigate that a little bit, do your knock knock on either side of the outlet, you might find that it's there and then you have a good way of, you know, guesstimating where the next one is. So if you can correlate between a few structural doorways, switches, outlets, uh, or heat vents like that, that'll give you a good idea where to start.
2: Uh, It's good to know where to start. And I'm curious how much room for error there is, Jeff.
9: Mm. Well, a stud is about an inch and a half across. You're just talking a little bit of area there. And so, what I typically do is take a fine finishing nail and I can go in just about a half inch. You just want to go, you don't want to go too far because if you don't know exactly what's behind there, Mm. you don't want to. Go in with a eight inch probe and just bang things around. Yeah, just go in and you'll you'll know right away with your by tapping it that you you missed because it'll just sink in or you'll right. hit solid and then that'll give you you know get a guesstimate where you might want to hang it and start that way and if you miss then you can just do your tapping again or use your stud finder again and get a good indication now these stud finders they do have a beep and
1: that where it beeps is supposed to be in the middle so that helps yeah Uh, and i because again we're talking about people working with something blind so you know to to utilize it it's got to be that helpful okay what about anchors do you want to get into discussing this
9: yeah if you just have a picture um that you want to hang or something or a shelf that screws in. Anchors work very good. They'll go into the sheetrock and they'll expand as you put the screw in. So that works pretty good. So all anchors have a weight factor to them. Some might say 20 pounds. Some might say five pounds. Some might say, uh, you know, 50 pounds, depending on what kind of anchor it is or toggle it is. Some of them expand and flare out and bite onto the sheetrock. But it's really nice to... Know what exactly you're going to be hanging, how much it's going to weigh. I would say anything in the your shelf area. If you're going to put stuff on the shelf, that's when you want to start biting into some some wood rather than the sheetrock. And most shelf makers do make them right around that 16 inch mark or 18. So you do have two pre-hilled, pre-drilled holes to to apply it and hopefully it works out in where you want it or where someone else wants it and you can apply it there. That's where anchors come in when you can't hit a stud and you can get the yeah. right weight limit to the anchor.
6: Hmm. Hmm.
2: Um anything else around drilling and drywall and all that other stuff. I I just feel like, you know, as much as we Uh, Can get the information around it. There's always going to be the nerves and I'm not sure if it's a visual thing Because you've mentioned all this way of knowing tactilely and uh, with sound audibly how to know where you're at and get the stud finder, I guess if you're really really nervous, but Still if you've never done it before like for me that first project of the um, curtain Mm -hmm. rods I was like I I don't know. It feels... I don't want to damage these walls. I'm so Because that's scared. what you worry about, making a mess a and people person. saying, hey, yeah. oh, Even if it's a sighted straight, person who look. doesn't know what they're doing either, it just feels like I'm going to miss something.
9: Yeah. And that's why, you know, that's why I say probe with something small so you can at least mm-hmm. find something solid. But the stud finders with the multi-sensors on them will give you a good uh, view of what's Behind there, and once you start knowing what to expect behind there, it helps out. But if you don't know, you might want to call uh, someone and learn from them. Don't just say, just go do it, and don't learn from it. It's an experience that, you know, what well, might help you out in the next time. But, you know, for 10 dollars, you can get a nice stud finder. For you talking 20, 30, $40, you can get a multi sensory stud finder that'll give you a lot more information. And it's better to be safe than
1: sorry yeah. you know, when you're going to Can that this. be too overwhelming if you have too many of the sensors? Like, I don't you, know, like, especially um, at first. I just wonder.
9: I think, I think the main thing is if it beeps, and you don't find a stud, then it's something else back there. So ah, you might want to, like,
1: yeah.
9: suggest the picture looks better over there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. But and at
9: least it's it one of those things that, that you just have more. to, yeah, just I mean, be okay. cautious. And being cautious is a safety mechanism in you so that it's a good way to approach
1: things rather than someone that just grabs a hammer and says i'll do That's it, where it and, hmm. pound. well even if you find that stud like or what you perceive to be whether you have the stud finder or not you still want to go in gently to be sure you know mark that spot right. by going in like you said use that you know and just kind of okay yeah that really is yeah. and, unless and, you have the stud finder with the multi-sensors and know how to use it yeah
2: and i think don't like...
1: go in don't go in too <clears throat> deep because
9: mm-hmm. there's some no. more stuff back there
2: and no matter what, anything can throw you off, right? Like that—the the fact that you've never done this before, even if you know, like I said, technically what you're looking for and uh, what that tactile feedback might be—you're still, like, I remember when I drilled through the drywall and then it just stopped. It's just hollow after that, and I was like, "Oh God, I didn't know it was going to feel like that," you know? And and so you you get—you have to get used to that sensation as well if you've never done it before.
9: Yeah, and that's that's a good indication right there. And then you start re re. Adjusting where you think it might be and then try it again cautiously, you Mm. know, just like you did. And when you don't feel that, all of a sudden it goes in without nothing behind it and you feel something solid, you're like, yes, and you want to high five someone and all that stuff. It's it's good. Exactly.
2: All right, next time we'll talk about um, (laughs) what to do with the holes that you've drilled but don't need to use anymore because they were just practice. (laughs) How how to fill drywall. Thank you so much, Jeff, we'll talk to you next month.
1: Thank you both.
2: Go easy on her. Mm. Always do. Never take that kind of advice. (laughs)
1: They don't even pay me enough to. Yeah,
2: right. Jeff (laughs) Thompson, don't even go down that road jeff thompson (laughs) (laughs) joins us for woodworking and that's once a month usually on the uh, fourth tuesday when we chat woodworking with him after the break we've got another um guest conversation for you we're speaking with two members of the anti-human trafficking committee at peel children's aid society about this grave human rights rights violation uh, and what we can do about it we'll be right back it's kelly and ramia
0: It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute.
2: Thanks for continuing to hang out with us. It's Kelly and Rumia on AMI-tv, AMI-audio, and on your favourite podcast platform. I want to shout out a cool performance that's coming up in Toronto. We're going to get to some other conversation shortly, uh, but we like to... St- tell you what TO Live is up to and TO Live is always running some great performance or another in downtown Toronto a lot of which they're doing their best to have audio described so this is an upcoming audio described performance uh, by TO Live called Carmen which you may or may not be familiar with it, but it's huge and they've got a nice um, Mm -hmm. new rendition, iteration, imagination of it. So they say, this is straight from the copy for promo, uh, with its fiery drama and iconic music, Carmen never ceases to thrill. In this reimagined version, Choreographer Yogan Inga takes audiences deep into the passions and undercurrents of the original story, imbuing the enduring stale with new resonance. Sensual and spirited, Carmen turns every head, including Jose's. But when she refuses to fall under his control, he plunges into an of jealousy and rage with tragic consequences uh, the choreography involves contemporary and classical movement with artful effects large movable mirrors flame, uh, frame the action and they transport us from town square through to the troubled mind of don jose menace and foreboding loom over the stage thanks to additional music by mark alvarez that complements the entire thing so The upcoming audio-described performance is at 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, February 3rd. And this is by Rebecca Singh and James McKenzie. Shout out to both of them of Superior Description Services. The show is being presented at Meridian Hall in Toronto and $10 only for community members. So if you're blind or partially sighted, $10 a ticket for you. And they offer complimentary tickets for your support person if they're um, accompanying you as a person with a disability. You can find more details about Carmen, that particular show, and purchase your tickets on tolive.com, and that is the easiest place for you to uh, find out more and for you to get a hold of tickets. All right. That's it. Check it out. And we're always keeping in touch with TO Live, so if you uh, listen to the show often enough, you will find more audio described performances that they're going to be performing and putting on for us.
1: Do you have your tickets? No. Oh, I was gonna say
2: it's $10. uh have you seen any versions of this oh, by the way of this production uh,
1: long long no not well Carmen yes yeah Carmen yeah for sure yeah okay years ago not mm. that I could really highlight the story but I, I even used to have an audio version of it
2: yeah I mean Fantastic. it's a very
1: well-known score so oh, for sure mm-hmm. oh yeah and a lot of people know pieces from it without knowing it at all
2: it, pretty much yeah exactly
1: Folks, we're going to switch, switch gears here. A uh, very important topic we're going to get into, human trafficking, especially of children, is a grave human rights violation. Today we're learning how the Peel Children's Aid Society is working to end human trafficking and protect present and future generations. Our guests are Alicia Booth, a supervisor, Adolescent Services, and Arathi Pakanathan, advice and assessment worker, Welcome to the show. We appreciate you giving us time. Thanks for coming on, Kelly and Ramya. And I'm going to ask if you both could uh, take a moment and tell us a little bit about who you are, your roles with the Children's Aid Society, uh, with Peel Children's Aid Society. Um, Alicia, can we start with you?
10: Absolutely. Thank you for having us on today. It's really uh, a privilege to be here So, uh, as you mentioned, my name is Alicia Booth, and I am a supervisor here at the Peel Children's Aid Society. Uh, My role specifically is over our Youth Success 16 Plus team. Uh, And what that team really encompasses is working with our youth that are 16 years old and over, Uh, And supporting them, um, youth who have been involved in the child welfare system, but really supporting them in um, transitions to adulthood and helping them uh, with their safety and their well-being. And so we come across all kinds of issues, as you can imagine, um, that young people go through today. And so we really support them um, from the place of helping them with transitioning. Um, And so we come across human trafficking as well with some of these youth. And so we're really um, privileged to be able to be here today to speak about that. Arithi, please, your position.
11: Hi, again, thank you for having us. Um, So, my position at the agency is a child protection worker, and I currently am on a specialized team at the agency that looks into allegations of abuse or neglect made towards children under the age of 18 uh, by a professional in the community. Uh, But we also take on um, any type of cases that might be media cases or serious incident cases, which are high risk. I further specialize in, in human trafficking cases, so I do work directly with children and youth who uh, might be at risk of uh, of being involved in human trafficking or might Mm. be actively involved in human trafficking.
2: So this is, like, obviously a very sensitive subject matter, not just here on the show or when you're speaking about your work, the two of you, but um, when speaking directly to people who may be involved or have been involved, there's so much that needs to be considered just in terms of sensitivity. how do you go about having these conversations? Can you let us in on what this work actually involves and the connection that you need to establish when just bringing up uh, the subject matter of human trafficking? It's not something that we take part in every day, this kind of conversation.
11: You're absolutely correct. It's not an everyday conversation that we have. And I think a lot of the time, it's also not a an issue that we realize is happening in our own backyard. Yeah. And so, you know, when we do have these types of conversations, or when we feel that we have to have these types of conversations with children, youth, and their families, um, we do have to focus a lot on rapport building um, because. You know, what, without that level of comfort and that sense of safety, um, there's not going to be a safe space for the youth or the child to, to disclose what they might be experiencing, uh, which is which could be a huge deterrent to a child coming forward about their experience. And so to create that space of no judgment, of a trust, um, and that rapport is huge, not just with the youth, but also with the family, um, to be able to trust a stranger that sometimes walks into their house for the first time and is asking um you know, a bunch of information about such a sensitive topic.
10: In your work, I'm I'm yeah, I would I'd also I'm sorry. add, oh, no, no worries. Oh, no, you go, you go ahead. Add, no, go ahead. No, perfect. Thank you so much. I'd also add that um, even when we we provide information or, or train our staff here, one of the things that we really talk about that's important in relation to engagement is also the bringing up the conversation around human trafficking. And Mm -hmm. so if there is the absence of referring to, you know, this area of safety planning in a youth's life, it's not something then they can reference later when maybe they're in an unsafe situation. And so if it's not a conversation that is brought up um, and spoken about uh, in relation to, you know, their online safety, safety in the community, then it becomes something that they can't think about or contemplate later. And so even though sometimes it's hard or maybe uncomfortable to broach those situations or those conversations, um, it's really important to bring up because in the absence of speaking about it, they don't have that to fall back on.
1: Yeah. So I'm curious because you did mention, and this is where I was kind of going to go when I interrupt you, and I apologize there. The avenues that in combating this that you have discovered um, in, in your defense, in being vigilant, where are we finding a lot of the luring um the the getting access to the young people particularly that are getting themselves pulled into human trafficking forced into it however you with the proper verbiage is um when it comes to it um are we seeing more online is that where a lot of that or on the streets i don't know who wants to start mm-hmm.
10: Yeah, so there's definitely been with the the last few years and what's impacted, you know, the entire world with people being at home and being online, there's definitely been a, an increase and a surge in online activity. And we've we've known, we've heard research has shown that there have been a lot of a lot more attempts of people to lure um, young people online. Um and yes. so human trafficking isn't necessarily just someone walking up to, you know, a young person or a child at a bus stop anymore, right? It's it's the challenge. Rooms. It's you know secret apps. It's different things like that. And then there are the promises, right? That come with if you you know you do mm-hmm. A, B, and C for me, then we can give you this. And so there's oftentimes a promise of you know a better life or mm-hmm. um, access to resources that maybe they can't afford or their family doesn't have the ac- economic resources to be able to um, to provide for them. And so oftentimes it's happening there. The other thing that we share when we're we're discussing this information is that sometimes it's recruiters so recruiters being the peers of those young people so people of even a similar age so gone are the days where we think a perpetrator is you know quote unquote in um an older male you know Mm -hmm. someone who is quote unquote say maybe uncomfortable or creepy to be around now sometimes the recruiter is someone who sits across from you in your math class and you don't even know and so this is why the conversations about um healthy relationships and boundaries and healthy relationships is so important Right.
2: Wow. Yeah. There's, there's so much more to the conversation than what we may understand of it or just assume of it, I guess, is more accurate to say. Uh, Arthi, how about survivors, right? Like we talked a little bit about this as well, just bringing up conversation around human trafficking to people who've gone through it, um, victims of. But what do we, how do we, like the everyday person or family members or friends, um, bring up this with survivors?
11: So that is a really good question because that is part of what we even focus on in our internal uh, PL Children's Aid training. And so a part of what is really important to do is to first create that safe space. Um, So being being able to allow for a child to disclose some things that might be uncomfortable to them, that might even be Hard for a parent or a caregiver to hear and to react in a safe manner for that child so that they're encouraged to disclose um, if they do feel like they're unsafe or if they have experiences that uh, they feel it's important for you to know. Because a lot of the time, especially minors, don't have access to resources um, without the consent of their parent or their caregiver, right? So that's really where um, the the conversation really starts before the words are even spoken. Um, And then, uh, then there's the point of you know, we have resources in our community, as well as Peel Children's Aid, who can really sort of construct um, a conversation or provide um, sort of mediation or a pathway to be able to start those conversations. Um, it can happen through, you know, just creating um like a family meeting, uh, we can even mediate that. um, If if we're involved with the family, uh, we can go through a community provider. So if they are working with a therapist, and we we can of course help initiate that conversation as well for the child to disclose to their family. Um, But for parents as well, it's around being aware, like Alicia had mentioned, that this is actually something that is happening in our backyards. And these traffickers have access to our children and youth even in our homes, through the internet and through these applications and through WhatsApp and whatnot. And so having those conversations and parents just admitting to the fact that they're aware of this and that this is a safe space yeah. and if, they, if their child ever has a concern that they can come to them, is mm-hmm. uh, it does a lot, almost 100% of the cases that I have worked on, it has been rapport building and really stating that this is an okay conversation to have and putting the words out there that has then created the safe space for disclosures to happen.
1: Okay. Um, I'm curious because I'm in the corridor, I'm in London, Ontario, and we talk a lot here about the 401 corridor between Toronto and Detroit and the human trafficking, but you have the Also, I won't say unique because Canada has so many different varieties of of community in it, and we're very privileged and and love that about us. But how does human trafficking disproportionately affect marginalized people? And we're widening the sphere here.
10: Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you brought up the the geographical location because here in Peel, um, there is a very diverse uh, uh geographical so. de- demographic yeah. right and so we are in the catchment of you know the the paris international airport um and so even that there there's a multiplicity of Um, diversity and demographics in the GTA, and so when we are considering how we work with uh, children, youth, and families, we're always trying our best to be culturally competent uh, in the way that we provide service. We do a lot of liaising with our service providers um, to be able to meet the youth, meet the family where they're at, to provide them with service that's going to make sense for, um, for them, whether it be culturally, their ethnicity, their language. Um, and being able to provide what it is that they're going to need, especially when it comes to the safety planning and looking at how we make the safety planning realistic to them uh, and working alongside them. We know that the the 400 series of highways um, has been methods of of which traffickers have moved. Um, People moved survivors throughout the province. We know that even some of the stats tell us that I believe it's 62% of human trafficking in the nation of Canada happens right here in Ontario. And so it's something for us to be mindful about. And it's part of the reason why here at Peel Children's Aid Society, we really, really emphasize the need to work together in partnership with our community. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we are doing intentional and targeted work here. Um, we have our internal committee that, you know, meets regularly. We discuss initiatives. We, you know, uh, make plans to push forward learning opportunities for our staff, for parents, for foster caregivers. But we also know that in isolation as an organization, that we can't do it on our own and so we heavily rely Mm -hmm. on our community service providers that are available. We actually do have a service provider table for the region of Peel um, that includes over 40 different uh, organizations and we come together on a monthly basis to talk about trends that are happening in the region, what we are seeing, um, whether it be cross-jurisdictionally, if there are things that are coming into PEEL or moving out of PEEL, what are we seeing, and how do we really create a targeted response um, to combating human trafficking?
1: For sure. Okay, mm-hmm. I have about 30 seconds. What are your thoughts when talking about this topic? Can it get better, especially when you mentioned having those 40 groups come together? Uh, you, well, Why don't you grab it up?
10: Well, you know what we've done, we've done so much, Arthi, I don't know if you wanna jump in as well, but we have done so much and we continue to be, you know, really encouraged by the work that we're doing. At the, Ultimately, at the, end of, at the end of the day, the survivors are the ones that we do this work for. And so we've had the opportunity to intervene in the lives of many different um, young people, both male and female, identifying and really hearing their success and watching them transition out of human trafficking and into safety and stability in their lives is really why we do this work. Appeal Children's Aid Society, and so it's something that we are proud of, and we will continue to do with the support of our community. I
11: think I can add to that. I know That's we said thirty eight. seconds,
10: uh, uh, you but just go to ahead. Say, I know
11: thank you i appreciate it um so you know i i think as you know alicia had mentioned we cannot do this work in silos and so the fact that the region has brought together so many community members and the fact that even our internal trainings we open up to ex- to our external agencies within the region of peel um, it really allows for that collaboration and that more efficient streamlined um, uh, action against human trafficking. So I think we have a fighting chance if we can just continue to evolve and work together to be able to keep, mm-hmm. up with this crime um, and really just sort of hopefully, you know, ideal goal is eradicate it.
1: Thank you both for all the information and really bringing such an important topic to our audience, our show. Um, We thank you and continue the amazing work. Alicia Booth and uh, Arthi Pakanathan from the Peel Children's Aid Society. Thanks again. Thank
6: Thank you. Thank You. you.
1: They were both here sharing what they're doing and what we can do to tackle human trafficking in our communities
2: taking a break and coming back to wrap the show with you we've got the teaser for tomorrow's now with dave brown episode find out what's coming up on their show and uh we'll close the moment close the show off with a moment for you we'll be right
0: back we'll be back with more of kelly and ramya after this short break
2: If you're still sticking around, then we appreciate you. We're wrapping up the show here. It's Kelly and Ramia, AMI-audio, AMI-tv, or where you listen to your podcasts. That's where you can find us. And Kel's where people can find Now With Dave Brown as well. 9 a.m. Eastern, weekdays on AMI-tv. You can catch the show live. And uh, they've got a Wednesday show, obviously. So let's find out what they got coming up.
1: Well, journalist John Lucky will be on, and he's going to give some background on the recent strike and protest actions by teachers in Saskatchewan. Anna Kamosi's on the show, and she'll be telling everybody about her plans to renovate her space to make it more accessible. Always a good thing. Committee reporter Derek Lackey will also be joining them. He'll be providing them the details of the upcoming Festival Voyager, and that's in Winnipeg. Sounds like a good show. Catch it beginning at 9 a.m. in the morning. If not... Subscribe to their podcast just like you can do ours.
2: All right, so I found this thing online uh, from Wired, and it's called Six Word Sci-Fi. So these are stories by Wired readers. And essentially, that's exactly what it is. Uh, The assignment is to, in six words, write a story about a mysterious alien artifact. The winner is this one. Turning the dial, the sun flickered. Nice. Turning the dial. The sun flickered. That one is by an electric poet, uh, then this was submitted by Instagram. But here are some honorable mentions, OK, because uh, all of them are good. And if you've ever done the oh, I can't even remember what this is called now, but you know, these one-sentence stories, uh, there's the website—I'll come back with you tomorrow to tell you what the, the site is—but they're really, really fun, where you create stories, in one sentence, and that's it. So people go ham with the commas and punctuations to try to get all of it into one story, and they're really, really a hoot to read. So, anyways, this is uh, this kind of reminded me of that, right? In the spirit with the six word Wi Fi. Uh, wi Fi? Sci Fi. Okay, so here are some honorable mentions We assembled it, it disassembled us by Chris Colburn. This was submitted by email. The next one Astro Archaeologist. Find original Venus flytrap. Really gets your uh, imaginations going. Bill Brown. Next one. The object looked to be smiling. Jeff Celery. It keeps repeating. They are coming. At Tefi Healy. The orb opened. Flash began unfurling. At Ross VDW. Game of fetch knows no size. At Heavy Shark One, That one's my favorite so far, by the way. Game of Fetch knows
1: no size. Should that that have won the actual contest as far as you're concerned?
2: Yeah, that's the one I would have chosen. And Countdown began when oceans were drained at Myrolite. Inhale to achieve the blade. I guess that was just going for alliteration. Just like us, aliens lose sunglasses (laughs) at Mommy Weirdest. It knew we would unfind it. Marcus Wustenberg. And okay, that's it. Did any of these stick with you? Sunglasses?
1: Uh the first one. the, the first one did. I did like that.
2: Yeah. I like uh, it.
1: The actually winning one. Mm, and some I'm of the have to adventures. achieve the blade. That kind of but when you think about what they're supposed to be it just kind of some of them to me I don't know, that's not necessarily mm. an object.
2: Anyways, go to Wired.com if you want to read more of them. Uh, We are going to wrap up now, and we'll be back with you tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern, on AMI-TV, where we got TV talk with Greg David, talking The Sopranos, because they got 25 years.
1: And what are some of the oddest competitions in the world? Beth Deer lets us know on The Buzz.
2: We'll be back tomorrow. Catch you then on Kelly and Romeo.
8: everyone. It is Beth Deer here with the Kelly and Ramia show. Um, in today's vanity card, I just want to send out a little reminder for everyone to just be kind to themselves. Um, I think this time of year is so hard for everyone. Um, for me personally, it is, you know, uh, my well, my dad passed away three years ago on January 7th. It's also his birthday on January 21st. I find that quite hard. Um, And now my granddad's literally just passed away as well. And I just think, I don't know why, but like lots of just tough things seem to happen in January and February. Um, I actually lost my sight in February. Obviously, years and years ago now, it's not necessarily an anniversary that upsets me. Um, But I do think... Just be be kind to yourselves, be kind to the people around you. Um, you know, there's a saying, hurt people, hurt people. So if you are someone who is having a hard time right now, lean on everyone around you, lean on your friends, lean on your family, lean on your colleagues, and um, just really take time for yourself. Do things that make you feel better things like, for example, things that can make you feel better that you might not necessarily think about. Staying hydrated, eating healthier if possible. Um, You know, getting in some walking if you're not a big exercise person like me. (laughs) Um, Just moving your body just so that you're doing things that will help you long term. I know it's very easy to sit and to wallow and to just feel kind of sorry for yourself, but I really just want to remind you all that, um, you know, seasons change and if you are having a hard time, this is not forever. I know I have so many friends with anxiety and depression and January and February are always the worst worst months for them which again I completely understand but there are there's things you can do to just make yourself feel better make yourself feel lighter um go to I know a lot of the time like mornings are hard for people so go to bed early have a nice dinner go to bed early um and you know wake up feeling more refreshed and ready to start your day And be a bit more productive if that's something that you know can help you. Um, Anyway, a bit of a somber, somber vanity card from me today. But I just really want to make sure that everyone knows that it's okay to have bad days. But there's also things you can do to make the bad days just a little bit more bearable. So if you are having a hard time right now, I send you a big virtual hug and just know this is not forever before we know it it will be summer and we will, will be feeling much better and peppier and just happy okay good luck everyone bye-bye
1: join me every couple of weeks for the outdoors with lawrence gunther podcast where we learn about outdoor tech and tips plus we look at news affecting the environment AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.